The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word, and I would like to ask you to turn to two passages 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then I would like for you to take a look with me at our foundational text for these three weeks of looking at the stewardship of the church, of its mission, its message, and its ministry, as it is so succinctly put together for us in Matthew chapter 28. So look with me, if you would, there at verse 16, then have your Bibles ready at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, if you will look with me at Matthew 28 and verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But notice this next phrase, but some doubted. So what happens next? And Jesus came, and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may this his word be preached for you. Would you please be seated? So... What was yesterday? Do not say Halloween. Reformation Day. Praise the Lord. Reformation Day. And um, so this is always this closest Sunday. We take time on the Lord's Day to remember what God did in his providence to revive, reclaim, reform his church that had lost its way in terms of mission message and ministry. And we're right in the middle of a series, not only where we are working on our personal stewardship of our time, treasure and talents, but also that being marshaled together through the ministry of the church. What is the stewardship of the church stewarding its mission, its message and its ministry? And how should we understand that? What are the interdependencies in relationship? But that October 31st, 503 years ago, Cold morning in October, as they almost all are in that part of Germany, this town of Wittenberg, a rather nondescript uh, professor, Dr. Martin Luther, had risen early and taken what he had prepared over to the castle church in Wittenberg. And there he went to the side door. And when he arrived at the side door, Either his assistant or he himself took out the nail and the hammer and he, now listen, he posted the 95 Thesis. He posted. You all ever heard that term recently? You think social media is new, don't you? 
Uh, we had platforms in the 1500s. It was the door of the castle church. And he posted on their version of social media the message for the community and the university. And the 95 theses were focused upon one particular issue, really, one that had filled his soul, his heart, and his life. And that was the issue of how can a man be right with God? It's the repetitious statement in the book of Job. How can a man be right with God? How can man whose evil always rises up ever get right with God? And so that question is, of course, the question that is that is answered in divine gospel terms. But the church in that day had lost its way. And across the river, even while he posted those 95 theses, was a man that Martin Luther wanted to make sure did not get across that bridge into Wittenberg, his beloved Wittenberg. His name was Johann Tetzel. And under the authority of papal decree, uh, he had worked out a play. He had worked out a message. He even had a little song to go with it in which they would sell indulgences whereby you could secure the release from purgatory of your relatives. And instead of them having to possibly gain heaven through the works in purgatory, they could be sent on to heaven by your offering. And his little song stated that when the coin in the in the um, when the coin in the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. Well, Martin Luther, of course, uh, his anger at such apostasy and its manipulation and deceitfulness so filled him that he was going to confront it. Make sure it didn't come into Wittenberg, but more than that, he wanted to confront it. So he called for a debate with the best debaters the church could muster. Now, there were many issues they were dealing with that the foundational one at this moment was how. What about justification? How can men who are sinners be right with God, who is holy? Does the church save? How do you get saved? Is it indulgences? Is it penance? Is it relics? Is it the prayers of the saints? Is it the merits of the saints? What is it that actually secures salvation or can it be secured? But for Martin Luther, this was much more than a theological debate and even much more than a pastoral concern for the hearts and souls of people that they would not be deceived and manipulated. It was his own journey. Where even in his pursuit of ministry, he would rail against God, whom he hated because he couldn't be right with him and could not find the way to be right with him. He had no peace. And then, in his assigned study by a wise mentor in the book of Romans, which, Lord willing, will be in in January, as his assigned study... He opened it up, and there was Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, to the Gentile. For in it, aha, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not my righteousness, which is filthy rags, 
from which I get no peace. But the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. You access it by faith. And then when you've accessed it, it becomes the foundation whereby your faith begins to grow. In other words, let me give you the theology. Justification founded by faith in Christ and his righteousness then leads to a life of sanctification to become more like Christ. Because now you're set free to obey out of love to Christ instead of out of fear. Can I do well enough to get to heaven? You've already heard. You can't. But what you can't do, God sent his son to do for you. And now you have received him by faith. So you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So he wanted to debate all of those issues. And so thus, not just one thesis, but 95 theses. He had a number of things. And so the debates began to go forward. There were three of them that took place in the coming months. And then after that came the definitive forum in which all of Christendom, The power of the state, the Holy Roman Empire, and Charles V, the power of the church with its papal emissaries, placed him before him with his books and called him to repent as he was under a sentence of death by the stake and fire. And as he prayed and all through the night and finally took his place before all of the power that was arrayed against him, He then said, unless I am convinced from Scripture, here I stand. It is not the power arrayed against me. It is not the threat of my death. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. And now we begin to see the true foundational issue of the Reformation. Yes, the issue of how does a man get right with God's salvation, justification, that in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But how do you know that's true? Because as they sat there, they said, ah, Martin Luther, the councils say, the fathers say, the creeds say. And Martin Luther says, councils, creeds, fathers, and popes do err, but God's word is true. There is where I rest my argument. While we thank God for the insights of councils and teachers and leaders, it's all measured by root and metric, is it faithful to God's word? Unless I am convinced from Scripture, here I stand. I can do no other. So it is that that becomes the crux, which now brings us to our journey of examining stewardship, not only personally. We're in a season of that right now. God, how can I be faithful? You've given me every moment of my life, every breath, every heartbeat. So how can I, according to your word and the power of the Spirit out of love to Jesus, be found faithful with the time you've given me in this life? Redeem the time for the days are evil. God, how can I be faithful with the talents? And my goodness, as I look out here, some amazing talents. 
Not only your mental talents, not only your physical talents, not only your skills, but your spiritual gifts. Every one of you have a spiritual gift that God is developing that fits right in to that glorious body of Christ that only you have. How is my gift to be used for the sake of Christ through his church to extend the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? But yet, and yet, of course, our resources, our stewardship of our roles, our responsibilities, our relationships, stewardship of our resources. And yes, God, you can. Yes, I will bring your tithe. I'll not rob you. I'll bring your tithe and worship and give you praise. And God, I know that you've got calling on my life for offerings. Maybe it's a faith promise offering. Maybe it's the alms offering after a Lord's Day communion service or, or whatever it might be. But here are my offerings. Here's my mercy offering. Here's my love offerings. Here are my free will offerings. But I want to be faithful in stewardship. But the question is, as you bring the stewardship of that time to Christ through his church, treasure to Christ through his church, talents to Christ through his church. How is it to be stewarded by the church? And that's where the church's stewardship is crucial. We have to be on mission, on message and in ministry. And that's let me just give you an example since we're on Reformation. What happened? Why was there such theological error, heresy and apostasy? Here's why. The church lost its message because it lost its mission. Well, Harry, what do you mean? Yep, 13th, 14th, 15th century. The church lost its mission. The church's mission began to be the church. The church existed for the church. Accruing power. Accruing wealth. Accruing influence. Accruing dominion. Of itself in the world. Now, when you get attached to the world's power structures and the world's, whether it's a called itself a Holy Roman Empire or what, once you do that, guess what happens? Corruption. And that's what happened over those hundreds of years. Corruption of the leadership, corruption of the teaching, corruption of the ministries, corruption of the doctrine, the corruption of worship, the corruption of the sacraments, the corruption of the, quote, unquote, the invented doctrines. In other words, you remember what we said last week? Every time the church gets off mission, the new mission will soon define its message. So when the church exists for itself and its power and its wealth and its influence, you'll come up with exotic, unbiblical doctrines like penance and indulgences and relics and salvation by the church. Not a church that teaches you salvation by Christ and salvation by works so they can control those who are a part of it. So when you get, and I know you said, well, how do you get, how do you just get, how does the church get its mission that it, the mission is the church? Well, folks, that's the way we are, aren't we? When we're born into this world, why did God, why did God make us? This is good. There's a catechism question that tells you, what is the chief end of man? It took a little while to get it out, but okay, we're getting there. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But when we're born, do we glorify God and enjoy Him? Or do we glorify ourselves and create a God that's all about my joy? I mean, uh, that exists to give me joy 
instead of my joy is him. You see, that's what sin does. You make it all about yourself. And when a church gets separated from its fixation by faith and devotion to Christ, then the church does the same thing. It becomes all about its existence. It becomes all about itself. And then you begin to develop a doctrine that supports that. Thus, you lose the message. But we've already learned our mission has been given to us by Christ. Our mission is not cultural transformation. Our mission is sinner salvation and transformation. Now, praise God, when sinners get saved, their lives change, their families and marriages and all of that changes, their business changes, and cultures get transformed as a result of us staying on mission. If we begin to make our mission anything other than what it is, then, I mean, even things that we think are good, you know, if we say that the church is, exists so you'll be successful in life, then we'll change the message to a prosperity gospel. Or the church exists for your self-esteem, then we'll come up with a therapy gospel. Or the church exists for growth. I mean, praise God, I love growth. But does the church exist for growth? Then you'll come up with a pragmatic gospel. All about the statistics. What gets the meat to the seat? That's what begins to happen if it's the numbers, the nickels, and the noise. Now, we've got to stay on mission, fixation, target fixation, make disciples. And God's given us four ministries to do that. The ministry of exaltation, upreach to God, worship. The ministry of evangelism, outreach to the world. That's why he says in the Great Commission, they worship God. And then he says, as you're going, evangelism. Then what? The ministry of exaltation and evangelism is supported by the ministry of enfolding. They were baptized, being added to the church and enfolded into the body of Christ. Then what? I want you to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, did you hear something there? So we've got our mission, make disciples. We've got our ministries. And now we get our message. What is our message? All that I have commanded you. Harry, where do we get all that God has commanded us to use to make disciples? This one's easy right here. It's the word of God, beginning in Genesis and ending in Revelation. Jesus said this, sanctify them in the truth. John 17, 3. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Put no confidence in the flesh. It is the spirit who gives life. My words are spirit and life. The spirit of God from Jesus works with the word of God from Jesus to save sinners to the glory and grace of God for Jesus. We've got to be to do the mission. We've got to steward the message. That's why Paul, when he, after three years at Ephesus, when he left, he turned to the elders and said, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for publicly and house to house I declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's what I did. The whole counsel of God. The message is the Bible. Why is it important for us to hold on to the Bible? Because that's the divine message. 
So now I want you to turn to that other passage as we come to a conclusion this morning. Would you look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3? 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I know you're familiar with this, but I want you to kind of come at it a little bit, maybe a little differently this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or competent, equipped for every good work. So, brothers and sisters, let me just do this briefly, what deserves a lot more time than what we've got to give it this morning. That what we, in fact, let me put it this way. One, just a few verses later, Paul. Now, by the way, this is Paul's last letter. He's about to die. Second Roman imprisonment. Before he dies, he gives these instructions to Timothy. And then after he tells him about the scripture, he then says this. Preach the word. Now, preaching is not the only means of getting the word to people. We've done a lot of means this morning. We've sung psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We've sung the word of God. We've confessed the word of God this morning. We have read the word of God this morning. We have prayed the word of God this morning. There are multiple means whereby we get to God's word and God's word gets to us. But the primary means is the preaching of the word. That's the primary. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, it is through the foolishness of the message preached that we are being saved. This Sunday in commemoration of the Reformation, I'm wearing a Reformation gown. What was the purpose of the gown? It was, first of all, to say the preacher is no more special. Than, so instead of all these multicolored vestments, he's bl- draped in black. Why? He's blocked out. It isn't the preacher. It's the preaching. Faith comes by hearing. It is through the foolishness of the message preached. But notice, it's not preaching that saves. It's the message preached that saves. That's why Satan loves to destroy the doctrinal integrity of churches. Because if I can get the message, they can't do the mission. And if they are, he'll get them off mission. And that's the way he gets to the message. And that's the way you totally destroy the ministries of a church. So that's where we are. What is our message? It is the word of God. That's what we are to preach. And what did this text just tell you? It told you four things about your Bible. The message that we are to steward. Number one. It is a God-given word. All scripture is what? Inspired by God. It's an interesting word, theonustos. And the word theonustos, theonustos means breathed. God breathed. In other words, your Bible is here because God breathed it out. The Holy Spirit, the breath of God, through holy men, prophets Old Testament, apostles New Testament. I like the way Peter says it. The Holy Spirit ferried, carried along holy men 
through which his word comes. It is the word of God. That's why the prophets, when they write, like Isaiah, when Isaiah writes, does Isaiah say, you know, I've been thinking about God and I'd like to share this with you. Is that what he says? No, no. He says this. Thus saith the Lord. Now, you've got to figure out, is he crazy or is he telling the truth? And the other prophets did the same thing. Let's go to the New Testament. The apostles. Let me give you one. Um, let me give you one. Paul, writing to Thessalonia. I am glad that you received my word for what it is. Not the word of man, but the very word of God. Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. So the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the church does not make the Bible. God makes the Bible. The church receives the Bible. And so we receive from God his word, and that word has come from God to us. And that word is true, and that word is true at every point. You see that phrase, all scriptures inspired by God, that all, that's the word pantes, it actually means in the context, it means every one of. Sometimes there's a word all that means all kinds of. That's not the one that's here. This is the one, every single one. So let me just take my Bible. Second um, Chronicles 5.14. That's God's word. Let me take my Bible. First uh, Thessalonians 2.1. That's God's word. Wherever you pick, this is God's word. This is God's word. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is God's word. Every single passage of scripture is God's word. Secondly, God's word is a profitable message. God's word is a profitable message. And by the way, wherever you pick, it's profitable. Here, I got one for you. Numbers 3-4. Profitable. All scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is profitable. Harry, why did you say that? Well, that's where reading through the Bible dies about every year. They get to numbers and say, oh man, I, whoa. That's when you go back to 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. There's something profitable here. God's word is profitable. Why is it profitable? Because God's word shows me. My sin. It shows me my helplessness. It shows me my hopelessness. God's word exposes to me. You're a sinner. You need a savior. You cannot save yourself. It resounds through the Bible. If we could save ourselves, or a man-made religion could save us, why in the world did Jesus go to that cross? Now, he went to that cross in atoning death to pay for our sins and to provide for us a perfect righteousness. I not only have a profitable Bible because it exposes my sin and my need of a Savior, I've got a profitable Bible because it exalts Jesus As my Savior and my Lord. It tells me who he is and what he has done so that my doubts can be 
sent away. Don't you love that? You remember back when he, he comes to them, the eleven, and they worshipped him, but it says somewhat doubted. Do you know what the next verse said? This is important. They were having doubts, right? What happens next? Jesus came and said to them, it is the word of Christ that sends our doubts away. He came and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. That Christ through his word begins to speak to your heart. And my sheep know my voice and they follow me. It's a profitable word because it exposes sin. It exalts Christ. It's a profitable word. It's doing it right now. There are some of you that need to be comforted. He's comforting you. There are some of you that need to be convicted. He's convicting you. What has one preacher said one time? Praise God that in the preaching of the word, he, comf- he convicts the comfortable and comforts the convicted. That's what he does. Same sermon. We'll get both of them done in the lives of people. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit does with the word of God. The word of God does its work. And it's so glorious. I got bad news for you. I've been saying all week that in January, I mean, for weeks now, that in January I'm going to start preaching what? What did everybody say? Hey, Romans. So some of you are listening. You're a lot better than the 930 group. What, what book? What book? Well, this last week I started reading Malachi. And I just got so convinced y'all need Malachi. And then one of my best friends gave me a commentary from one of my Old Testament professors on Micah. And now I'm convinced y'all need to hear Micah. Now, don't worry, I'm going to stick with Romans. But I just not the Bible, all of it is profitable. I'm just sorry I haven't got enough lifetimes to walk through it for God's people. It is a glorious thing. His word, all scripture is God given all scripture is profitable for us. I remember when I got converted, I used to avoid preaching like the plague. When I got converted, I started looking up who's preaching where on Monday, Tuesday, not just Sunday morning, Sunday night, that's a given. I'm going to go find somebody else. I just got so hungry. The night I was converted, I read through the New Testament, woke up Cindy and said, well, what do you do next? She said, well, we'll go over it again. And you know, so I'm an athlete, young, enthusiastic Christian, and I get saved. Guess what? Faith Presbyterian made me the youth director in the little Presbyterian church. I didn't know anything. I can still remember to this day, but I want to give you one part of it. This won't amaze you. I'm, we're leaving 412D, English Village Apartments. We're riding in the car to the Wednesday night cross club that I started as a Bible study for the youth. And man, this thing's growing like crazy. And I've run out of I just don't know what to say. And, and so Cindy says, well, what about some Old Testament story, Bible story? I said, well, what, yeah, let's look at those. And uh, so we'd read one and she'd be, start explaining it to me as we're in the car. My 68 Chevelle. There we're riding along and she's explaining to me this old. And I get so absorbed in it. We get to the church and I park and I say, really? Yeah, honey, that's real. And what do you think? That, well, honey, I think. And what, I mean, I forgot about the kids. I got so excited about what Cindy was telling me for two reasons. Number one, this is unbelievable. Can you believe this? And then the second reason was I was getting something so I'd have to give to them when I got in there. 
So it's just God's word is profitable, all of it. Number three, it's a life-changing message. It will change the lives of believers. First of all, it changes you because it assures you your guilt and shame are gone. Jesus took it away. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then he tells you, I'll be with you all the way to glory. And I'll comfort you, I'll convict you, I'll help you grow. So it's not only a message of assured justification, it's a message of anticipated sanctification as you grow. Not for grace, but in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a glorious, life-changing work. I mean, look at this. Moses, a murderer. Paul, a murderer. David, a murderer. Look at them. They become stalwarts. Paul, religious terrorist, kills Christians, becomes an evangelist. Paul destroys churches, becomes a church planter. This is what God's word does. It's life changing. Fourthly, it's a sufficient message. It gives us all we need in Christ for life. It's an infallible word. It's an inerrant word. Don't you love what it says? That the man of God may be equipped for what? Every good word, all that I need to know to believe and live for Jesus is right here in the word of God. And God's given me the Bible so I can read it, study it. You can be a Berean Christian. They heard the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if it's so. Hearing word preached, examining the scriptures and building the word into your life. That's what God gives you. But you know what? One of the reasons, do you mind if I say this and I'm going to close? One of the reasons, historically speaking, you've got that Bible that you can read while I'm preaching and make sure I'm not departing from it. Then you can go read and study all week this week and then we'll be back together next Lord's Day because these reformers. For many of them, the last sounds they heard were those pipes as they were being burned to death. And most of them were burned to death. So you could have a Bible. That's our takeaway. We've been given much from God through his people. Let's stay on mission. So that we can stay on message. So that we can stay in ministry. Of evangelism. Worship. Enfolding. Disciple making. That's where we'll go. I confess to you I'm a historian and that's a romanticist by nature. <laughs> And I love to get insight while I'm on site. I'll never forget the very first time I went to Oxford. Cambridge gave birth to the reformers. Oxford burned them. And as I went there to Oxford, I looked around for the, for the street where I could find the marble, the marbles arranged in a cross. And I went there because three of my great heroes died right there. Cranmer, Latimer, and Ridley. Cranmer was brought to that place. It's really interesting. All three of them were, as soon as Mary, Bloody Mary came to the throne and had killed Lady Jane Grey, she then went after the men who had written the Book of Common Prayer to elevate the Scriptures over the church and build the church on the Scriptures, who had pastored Edward VI, who had been there, Engaged in what was called the English Reformation. She put all three of them on trial. Octogenarians. Thomas Cranmer, 
Nicholas Ridley, the Bishop of London, and Hugh Latimer, the great preacher of the gospel, who with John Knox had evangelized the field, the military compounds and all the places that he would go. They convicted him. And the first thing they did in October of 1550, 38 years after Luther, they put him at a stake. And as they were tying the bonds, Nicholas Ridley said to his captor, tie my bonds tight. When the fire comes, I do not want to leave my post for Jesus. Latimer heard Ridley and said to him, ah, Mr. Ridley. Be of good cheer, for today, by God's grace, you and I can light a candle for Jesus that shall not be put out in all of England. Play the man. Play the man. Ridley was almost prescient. It would take hours for him to die. The flames only burned his lower portions. He was literally pleading for the fire in the name of Jesus. Latimer went quickly, but what minute, as soon when I stood there, the next thing I did was walk 125 yards to the jail of Oxford. For at the top of it, they made Cranmer watch him. Then they put him for the next five months through torture, scraping the ends of his fingers off because they had baptized people, and he was declared an apostate. Shaving his head, making him go without sleep, torturing him. And finally, in March, in the middle of the night, he finally broke and signed a recantation of all that he had believed in the Reformation. They were going to make a spectacle. So the next morning, they brought him to the university chapel. And I stood, sat right there and looked where they chiseled out of the columns a notch so they could put in a wooden platform and they were going to stand him there to ridicule him as he recanted. But from the moment in his point of demise that he had recanted, the courage of God filled his soul again. And when they put him on that platform, he began to recite what we've been studying, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Then he recanted of all of his recantations and he put his arm out. And said, I will put this hand forward that betrayed Christ, that it might be burned first. In anger, they swept him away to that stake where his friends had died five months earlier. And now in March 1556, it is there he lost his life. Why did these people do this? Most of them. Yes, to capture the gospel. But why we believe it is true because of the authority sufficiency of the message, stewarding the message. That's why they died. They died so you could have that Bible in your hand and you could have a Bible in your hand in your own language and you could hear that Bible preached in your language and you could examine that Bible to see if these things are so. That's why they did it, because they knew you can't get to the God of the word without the word of God. Thus, God calls us stay on mission, on message and in ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments that we could be together in your word. 
Thank you for the glorious word of God and the contours of the gospel that fill it. And as we go throughout the word of God, we keep coming to Jesus. He's the ark. He's the offering. He's the prophet. He's the priest. He's the king. He's the scapegoat that takes away our sin. He's the lamb that makes an atonement for our sins. So we hold to this whole counsel of God to teach all that you have commanded because all that you have given and commanded points to you. Which is why when you preach, they would say, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained himself in all the scriptures. Jesus, keep us, please, in this present distress, in all of this chaos, for the sake of of what we desire to happen around us. Keep us on mission. Make disciples. On message. The gospel declared in the whole counsel of God. And the ministries of upreach in worship. Outreach in evangelism. Inreach in loving and enfolding one another. And then downreach as we make disciples. God, please give us in this season of personal stewardship, a renewal of our church stewardship for God's glory. Briarwood committed to worshiping God, equipping Christians to worship God and reach Birmingham to reach the world for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.